Golf Podcast, presented by Golficity, where we bring you the tips, instruction, and support you need to get the most out of your golf game. And now your hosts, Frank and Mike. Hey guys, welcome back as always to the Golf Podcast. This is episode number 351. And we're going to talk today, Mike, about smart ways to hold more green. So we've talked about this so many times in golf in general, how there's both execution and strategy and the two have to work together. Sure. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about both today. That's why we say smart ways. So yes, there's going to be some things that you can do to hold more greens as far as your execution, the way you, you actually make contact with the ball and ball striking. But again, this is where we like to have something that kind of every golfer can relate to because we know that people of all different levels are watching and listening to the podcast podcast. Here's where you can just by making smarter decisions, something you can change today rather than having to work on your swing, mm-hmm. you can start to hold more greens. And we'll talk about that in a minute. We'll talk about the strategy that goes behind it. Um, and that'll know, be a big thing. And I know people are saying probably like easy, hit the ball higher, right? Yeah. That's where your head goes immediately. Hit the ball higher, come into the green on that. Uh, what do they call that? A more a steeper angle. steeper angle. Yeah, for sure. But but keep in mind, there's all different ways that we attack the greens. Right. So exactly. uh, yeah, hit it higher when you're 160 out, not exactly the easiest thing to do. Right, exactly. Right. Yep. Right. And also we've we've gone through things. We, we'll talk about equipment as well. Mm-hmm. We've, we've gone through golf ball fittings and we also realize there's a certain point where you're coming at it from too high. You're mm-hmm. relying on too much height. And then what happens when it's a windy day, you're in trouble. Right. Or uh, sometimes you'll end up moving back away from the pin because you're not getting any roll out you have to know and know your game and expect what you're going to get how much rollout things like that so all important stuff and and i'm excited to dive into that in a minute we're also going to twitter, talk about our twitter tapping um but i want to get you guys take two how did you enjoy last week's podcast we did a live show yeah that was fun that I, we enjoyed it loved it i mean we love the whole night look it's something that we've wanted to do a whole lot more of in general but been held back this year because of covid we actually had i think five live podcasts on the kind of calendar heading into uh 2020 and we had started to map out where and when those were going to happen and unfortunately it all got kind of bumped uh we were happy that z strict presented a, a situation where we could do it in a safe way uh sitting there distance and the mass and things like that but right now especially here in the states we're going through a, a lot of of trouble again with covid so it's not happening at the moment but um i wanted to hear what you guys thought about that about the format of a live show because no doubt mike 2021 we're gonna be back at it i can't wait i mean they excite me the most and i want to big thanks to everyone who came out it was a rainy night some people drove two hours away from two hours hartford connecticut the bronx all to come out and hang out with us and we couldn't be more appreciative it, it was fun yeah uh, and we all stayed safe and we had a long drive competition we had a bullseye competition we did the live podcast yeah. we had uh we had a uh, link strengths there and, and they were giving out some samples and the food was great i mean top to bottom those two hours we were there were just jam-packed with fun yeah and that's why too we, we appreciate it so much that's why we try to give back with the prizes and some of the gear yeah. and stuff like that we've been giving out uh so that was that was a fun one again, but let us know. Drop a comment. Uh, you know, send, send us a message in the Facebook group. Let us know what you think about the live show format. You know, don't hold back. You know, we want to hear. We're always looking on making the show better. Uh, and that's why, too, we love to hear the reviews that you guys leave on, on iTunes and everywhere else because it does help us. I mean, even though we've been doing this show for seven years, 
we're always happy to, to grow and improve. For sure. For sure. So I want to dive into today's Twitter tap, and we've got an interesting question, a question about rules. I think whenever you talk rules, you, you really start to get some opinions flying around. Sure. You know, everybody's got an opinion on the rules of golf, um, but uh, this one's going to be a fun one, and we've got some of our own opinions as well as far as stuff, and I, I'm also a believer of this in general, sometimes relaxing certain rules when you're not playing for a score that matters. And what I mean by that is, although every score matters, I don't advocate putting something down in an official form, like for your handicap, if you've bent the rules in any type of way. But if you're just out there on a vacation trip with your buddies, uh, there's certain things that I'll do. Like not like if you think don't, you absolutely don't think a ball is lost, I'm not going all the way back to the tee box. You got to be realistic in right. certain re- regards. But again, in that case, if I did that, I'm not entering that score for a handicap. Right. Same. I think it's just got to be smart about it. You, the idea is to have fun. The idea is not to obviously misrepresent yourself. Correct. I agree. You know. I agree. So before we dive into this this week's Twitter tap, and this um, wanted to do a quick word and thank our sponsor, Titleist. Uh, guys, just when I thought that the I couldn't get more out of my TS2. I mean, if you guys watch yeah. some of the videos, you know that I love the TS2 because it was such a forgiving club that I was getting more distance out of, and that gave me the confidence to really go after it. So as we went to our fitting for the TSI line, I said, I'm really not going into this with too high hopes, Mike, because I'm like, how is it that it's going to outperform my TS. Right. And it just absolutely surprised me. And I think that's that's a general theme we're hearing from more and more people. As a lot of you message us as you go out and get your fittings, very similar sentiment that the TSI really is this leap forward. And it it's the TSI line of drivers, it represents the best in Titleist peerless pursuit of speed. They continue to invest in the minds, materials, and technologies it takes to push the boundaries of speed while sacrificing nothing when it comes to performance. It's built on breakthrough technologies that was first rolled out in the T line. The new TSI series is more than an extension of the franchise. It's an investment in your game and it'll pay off dividends for years to come. And I couldn't agree with that more. Working closely with the Titleist team, we've seen it. We've seen they always are pushing to outdo themselves. Some of the materials and things like that they've used in the new TSI are completely different. And at the end of the day, talk about sacrificing nothing. The one thing I was worried about was sacrificing my accuracy. Yep. None of that. I've got all the free. I ended up with the TSI too. All the same forgiveness, but I'm getting a bit more ball speed, which is translating to a few more yards and... That's all I can ask for. Yeah, I mean, I've never been more excited to hit a driver yeah. before. And, and I've heard you say that now so many times, stepping up to the tee box. I know. And yeah. you know, the other day we were we were up at uh, Manchester Lane doing some testing, and at, we were started with wedges, and we moved to seven iron, and then the fitter goes, uh, Michael says. Hey, all right, now let's hit him with the drives. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Now I'm with the whole Titleist team hitting my new TSI, launching them into the woods. I love this club. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a it's terrific. And it's great to be able to walk up and have confidence. So it's not just, it's not lip service, guys. We love the clubs, but we want you to try them firsthand. So go out there and try the new TSI for yourself and see how you hit it. I guarantee you, you are not going to be disappointed. All right, let's uh, switch gears here and talk about this week's Twitter tap-in. And if you're new to the show, the Twitter tap-in is a Twitter segment that we do every, every week where we put a question out to you guys and pick some of our favorite responses here as well as give our own take on it. So if you're not already following us on Twitter, make sure you do so at Golficity. So this week we asked, like I said earlier, talking about the rules here, Mike, we said, if you could change just one rule in golf, what would it be and why? 
Um, so I think I'll kind of kick it off here for us, Mike, uh, talking about, and, and somebody uh, here, Gary had mentioned, he said stroke and distance for OB. And I think that goes back to yep. what I was saying before. Um, I think I would not, I would weigh in and say, I would not like to see that rule changed. Um, because on the bigger scale, like PGA tour level competing for, for local amateur tournaments, USGA, things like that. I think there's a very good reason why it's a, it's the biggest penalty there is stroke and distance. It's because the golf courses are structured and designed to make you have to hit certain shots in certain directions and penalize you. You should be, it's just like anything in life. You should be, if you're aware ahead of time, if you're aware of the, the I guess, the penalty of, of doing something, the consequence, mm-hmm. it causes you to create a strategy to avoid it. Right. Right? Now, where I would say that I would change that would be in the informal rounds. Mm-hmm. The really, like, the the when you're just out there, and again, it has to be a situation where you're not entering a score. I don't want it to be where you're, if you're, you have to level the playing field. Everybody has to be fair. If you're either in a local tournament, if it's just a handicapping thing where you need to be able to make sure that you are entering a good handicap for others, for, you know, eventual events, in that case, I don't think there should be any bending of the rules. However... The uh, as Mike quickly, you run out of a charge, you run out of juice on that. No, I'm that, back, I'm oh, good. There I'm you good. go. <laughs> um, so I think kind of catching back up on what I was saying is that in order if we talk about pace of play, I think if there was ever a time, if, if it's a mutually agreed upon within your foursome, uh, for certain situations where if it ends up OB, especially if it's something that off the tee, you're not sure, but that's where you can hit a provisional. I think that's going to be the argument that everyone's going to say, but to keep things moving in certain cases, I'm okay with taking away the stroke and distance and just making it a stroke. I would even almost be willing to say, make it a two stroke penalty yeah, I like that. and say, drop the ball here rather than going back to the tee box. But again, I know speeds the game up. A lot of people could argue against that. They could say, well, Frank just hit a provisional and it'll take care of that time. Again, that's mm-hmm. why I would not change this rule in any way in the real, you know, competitive golf. It's just that idea of saying when the game's informal, keeping it friendly, keeping it fun and keeping it moving, uh, especially when you guys mutually agreed upon that, that the score is not the ultimate determiner of how the day went for everybody. Correct. Yeah. Um, how about yourself, Mike? Well, let me run through some of these. I want to, uh, there's so many good ones. First, my rule change would be if you end up in one of my divots, you get a free stroke on that hole. Yeah. Deal? Not only a free drop, you get an actual <laughs> stroke. stroke. Take it off your score. Take it off the card because I Mike's feel bad David. for you. Yeah. But uh, someone, I was looking for the one, someone was talking about the Bryson rule. Here it is. Keith Spoelstra. I want to get these names right. He says the hashtag Bryson rule. If, you t- if your tee shot is clearly in play, but you can't find it, you shouldn't be penalized for it. Most of us weekend hackers have this happen at least once around. Totally mm-hmm. agree. Especially if you're in the fall in the Northeast. Right. You know, how many times have you lost the ball in clear sight? Plain, fairway. Yeah. Right? I saw a hilarious uh, Instagram on Instagram this morning. I think it was uh, Golf Ball had it out. And uh, this this golfer had a, a, a cordless weed blower. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a leaf blower. Be, and he just showed how he blow, blew off all the leaves and there it was his ball. And I think the game itself, you know, when you're played at the high level of the game, whether that be the PGA Tour, where we saw that, at the Masters with Bryson, we were saying that his ball would have been found if there was if there were you know 
people in attendance watching right. because undoubtedly they would have saw where it landed they would have stood around it or if you're playing with like a four caddy mm-hmm. who's going to be out there and find it it is one of the most frustrating things in golf to lose a golf ball to nothing and it is something that can easily happen especially with the new adjustment of the rules where it's five minutes to find your ball and yeah. then it's a lost ball and then again you got to go back to the tee box it's stroke and distance so I, in a lot of ways, I agree. There's got to be some sort of leeway there uh, if it's obvious. And I mean that if there's no hazard around, if there's no even potential that it could go anywhere. A, a perfect example of this was when we played Skyview, right? Um, we all tee off and, and I hit the ball and we're all joking, be like, nice, you know, can't lose that one because we were worried about losing them because there were some deep roughs and stuff like yeah. that out there. I'm like, it's right there just off the fairway to the right. There was nothing. There was nothing else. This is on the 18th hole. Right, because it had happened to me earlier, and we thought someone might have picked up my ball. Right, you know, tight golf course. Sometimes that happens. Right, right? but in this case, nothing there. It's the I most mean, frustrated I've ever right. seen you. I was like, "There's no way. There's no water. There's no woods. There's just ground. Poof. That and it just it was gone. And we're walking <laughs> around. I'm frustrated now. The people on the tee box behind us now five minutes or no five minutes they're like come on they want us to get going so we're rushing and it's just like i'm not going back to the tee box to hit another one i never would have hit a provisional because we all agreed the ball was right there just right off there. the fairway mm-hmm. but between the leaves and the heavy rough it couldn't be found it's just probably just sitting there yeah but in the end of the day it would be a penalty and in that case i think the kind of the informal thing you and i always play is we say just drop it here and take a stroke Right. You know, so you still end yeah. up penalized for something that I kind of agree you, you shouldn't really be penalized. Yeah. For. I mean, I don't think you should be, you know, especially us at the amateur level. Yeah. You can't find the ball. You know, it's in bounds. But but maybe on the flip side of that, someone can argue it and say, well, if it's not there, then obviously something happened. You could have hit a rock. It could have went into the woods. Yeah. So if you're going to drop, then yeah. I'm but cool in that it, case, there was no yourself. woods or in that anything case, for, for I know. 40, 50 yards. I know. Right. I know. So, but yeah, but I, I mean, it's just a tough one. It's a very tough one because there's so many, golf is played on so many different venues. Obviously there's so many different possibilities of things that can happen that it's hard to create one blanketed rule. But anyway, um, let's just run through a couple of other these. I think a big one that I see coming up over and over again, relief from divots, relief from a divot. Trevor says it. um, Why he's a divot relief. Why get penalized for a good shot into the fairway? A ball in either direction would not affect the next shot, which is true. Kind of just moving it out of the, but I guess the golf purists will say, look, it's, you know, it's play it as it lies, but yes I, no. it's a tough one. That's a tough yes one. I no. kind of like, like the idea of moving it out of a divot, but can't you tie a ball in a divot similar to uh winter rules when your ball's plugged? Yeah, you would, you, I mean, lift clean in place. I guess any course could, could enact a lift clean in place local rule yep. like a, like let's say that they had a particular divot problem like mike can play yep. there the day before yeah. right the day after <laughs> mike shutting plays, down they just throw right up. It's, yeah. it's lift clean in place <laughs> a local rule i guess you could do that but i think generally speaking yeah i mean we see the pros i saw one rory hit the other day it was like he was in it he was in a divot and it was like it didn't even affect him at all yeah so you're gonna of course you're gonna make that argument be like yeah guys a well-struck ball it shouldn't matter because you're gonna hit the ball first or whatever but again, we're not all Rory McIlroy. Yeah. So some of us need all the help we can get. And yeah, we feel like, you know, as Trevor was saying here, why am I being penalized for putting a ball into the middle of the fairway and it just so happen to roll into this guy's divot? Right. Yeah. So uh, it's a good one. Um, 
What else we got? A lot of people make mention of you should have a mulligan, you know, mm-hmm. one on the front, one on the back. But again, that's kind of what handicaps are for. Honestly, if you if you get the right handicap, you can, especially if you're playing a competition, you should be getting strokes against someone who's playing better than you. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Ryder, same thing. He says if a ball lands in the divot, you should be able to remove it. Divot thing seems to be like a really yeah. common one. John really Harris, common. permit each golfer just one mulligan per round. Don't, <laughs> don't we take that anyway? <laughs> the, the old breakfast ball. The old breakfast ball. The old breakfast ball. Um, let's see. Yeah, a lot, a lot yeah. of good ones here. <laughs> Mark Clayton, not kind of a rule thing, but just a statement. He, he probably just says this to anybody who will listen. He says, "Charles Howell the third, third, you get into the golf hall of fame just in the amount of money he's won on tour." There you go, Mark. <laughs> you not know, I change, think that's but... one we can all kind of get behind. That guy yeah, has been so. a consistent, you yeah. know, top twenty, top ten guy for for as long as I can possibly remember. Yeah, Chucky Triple Sticks, absolutely. That's it. Um. And uh, Cannon says we should be able to use training aids on the golf course. Um, you know, that, just that's drop an alignment rod down in the middle of the fairway. <laughs> I think again, that's a tough one it's because golf is played in different ways. Golf is played both both uh, in a fun, really casual capacity, and also in a formal capacity. And I think as long as you kind of outline which one it is, like it, I. I'm I'm of the mindset that if you're going to go out there and play either with yourself by yourself or with a bunch of buddies and you're saying I don't care about what you know this forget the score I'm not playing against you guys I'm not playing against anybody for money I'm not playing in a tournament and I'm not going to be entering this score for my for my handicap if you say all those things and you want to use you know some sort of uh some sort of you know training aid out there as a practice round to better your game then go yeah. for it. Mm-hmm. Then go for it. But if you're out there strapped up with, you know, a million different feedback devices and you go out there and fire a 77, then I'm sorry, don't go into the to the pub afterwards and tell everybody you shot 77. <laughs> exactly. Because you did it, right? right? So that's where, again, it's all about leveling that playing field. That would be my take. But otherwise, if you're just going out there to learn the game and have fun, dude, I, I don't care what you wear out there. You wear a space suit out there if you want Seriously. to. Seriously. You know? You know? I don't know why you would. Ridiculous, but I don't know why you would. You'll make a statement. But yeah. So, all right. Let's uh, wrap up the Twitter tap and let's uh, let's talk about a word from our sponsors. And then I want to dive into this week's instructional topic where we're going to talk about how you guys can start to hold more greens. Yeah, Frank. So this episode is brought to you by ShotScope, the all-in-one GPS and stat tracking watch. Uh, sold out, but I just heard they got about 60 in. Um, by yeah. the time this is going to air, it could be sold out already. But guys, keep checking. Uh, we made that announcement recently, and a lot of you in the Facebook group were excited because I know you've been trying to get your hands on them. With the holidays coming up, too, Yeah, um, you know it's probably the best Christmas gift. A lot of people have been reaching out to me, Frank. They've been saying, hey, I want to get my husband or my father, whatever, something new. I know you guys are t- you know, talking about the shot scope. Yeah. Tell me more. And I think it's going to be a hot item. But the good news is if you can't get the, the, um, the V3, they still have a lot of the G3s available, and that's uh, GPS only. So if you're in the market for a GPS watch with just laser-like GPS, front, back, middle of the greens, hazards, all that stuff, then check out the G3. And mm-hmm. the price point is great. It's under $200. I mean, it's right about that, $199. And uh, it's got all the same things except, except for stat tracking. I know a lot of you say, hey, stat tracking is not for me. And that's fine. Right. So guys. Especially some of our beginner golfers. I've yep. seen that highlight in the group of some people saying, well, listen, I'm shooting a 130 out there. I don't I don't want to track every stat. Now, I, I think it's a personal opinion because me, even if I was shooting that high, I'd still want to know where Agreed. where I was kind of going wrong, where I can improve and start, you know, looking for that low hanging fruit. But yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So you know, along those lines, um, the, the the shot scope gives you that feedback. You know, yeah. weaknesses, strengths, fairways hit, 
everything you want to know about your golf game, hundreds and hundreds of stats. It's really cool. You got to check it out for yourself. So visit shotscope.com slash golficity. See if they're still available. The V3, um, definitely give it a shot. Give and it a run. One thing I would kick in as our own kind of personal plug, like what you heard Mike say there, if you're not already part of our Facebook group, it's free. Make sure you join it because in this situation, uh, everybody who's in the group got a quick jump on everyone else because Gavin from ShotScope, who you guys have seen on the podcast before, uh, he emailed us. He said, guys, we got a couple back in stock because everyone was itching for them. First thing we did, post it in the Facebook group, and then everybody got, got first dibs on them. Yeah. So it's just a, it's another benefit of being part of that yeah, group. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So definitely check it out. And, and lastly, just want to thank FootJoy, the number one outerwear brand in golf. It's 40 degrees today, man. It's cold. When I walked my dog this morning at 5 a.m., it was 21 degrees. There you go. We're getting there. We're there. I shouldn't say we're getting there. We're there. Yeah. But we have a 57-degree day for Friday's round. Yeah, I so, like that. I like a little chill for golf. Right. I love fall golf. But hey, man, it's not frozen. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But it goes to show you the weather changes at any time. Anytime. Right? So, mm-hmm. you know, FootJoy, the number one outerwear brand in golf, it's committing to, committing us, it's committing to help us extend the golf season as long as possible. I mean, that's what we want to do. We want to play golf as long as possible. We hate shutting it down. So the new Hydro Series line of rain jackets includes several options uh, that provide the ultimate protect- protection wherever you're teeing it up this fall. And not only is it 100% waterproof, I think it's pretty darn warm, Frank. Yeah. You yeah. know, I'm like I love it as an outer warm. layer. Yeah. And it's so thin, it's so mobile, you could swing with it. It almost feels like you're not even wearing a jacket, but it, it, it keeps you so warm. I'm like, that's what blows my mind the most. How is something so thin yeah. keep you so warm? But hey, these guys have been doing it for years. They're the best in the game. You have to check out the Hydro Series line of rain jackets or the cont- entire line of Hydro. Uh, you can visit footjoy.com slash M-E-D-P for make every day playable. Makes sense. Uh, visit it. Check it out. Again, awesome. Another, talk about holiday gifts. You get someone a FootJoy product, yeah. they're your best friend forever. Yeah, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of, in general, just... Take you know, make the investment. You're gonna be playing golf for a long time. Invest in in just one good, really rainproof setup. You know, jacket and pants. And yep. man, that you can have that for years, years, years. You know, and just so durable. Have it there. You fold it up. You know, and, and throw it in your bag on those days you think it might rain, and it'll be the difference night and day. Because we've done it. We've made that mistake. Not have the right gear and what it feels like to play in a drenched, heavy, yeah, golf shirt. Is right. the worst. Right. Is the worst. I see a lot of a lot of guys out there. They're they're in the, this big like it's like George Costanza. Is that Gore-Tex <laughs> out on the course? How are you going to swing with yeah, that? No. You know you can get warm with something a lot less than that. Yeah. You got you got to be playing with something that is designed for golf for that reason. So and we and we also actually just gave one of those Hydro Tour away on our uh, our YouTube page. Yep. So if you guys aren't already a subscriber over there, check it out because we do a lot of flash giveaways. Um. All right. All right. Let's switch gears yeah, and talk a little greens. bit about this about holding greens because. Yes, uh, a huge goal is hitting the greens, um, but that's only half the equation. The other side of it is you've got to hold the greens. And as we said earlier, every golf course is different, whether it be, you know, climate to just grass, you know, different golf courses use different grass. So you're going to play soft greens. You're going to play firm greens. So in order to hold those greens, you're going to have to realize that and adapt your strategy. And that's one of my favorite parts about golf in general. I like that connection with nature because you're out there. It's not, as we said before, it's not a basketball court that the ball is going to bounce the exact same, whether you're playing in here or Japan, Yeah. you know, out on the golf course, it's going to change. You're going to have those. And it, it may even change throughout your round. We've played rounds before where the wind is whipping mm-hmm. and the the greens are just kind of drying as the day is going on. And it's you know you start in the morning and it's a little bit dewy and wet, and then later on the sun's out. It's it's you know windy and those greens firm up and get fast. So just being a 
aware of that is going to what's going to really help you change your strategy, right? And the first thing to, to get an idea of is how do you get that ball to stop? And this is something that I wouldn't even think this would be the first tip. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know why I overlooked this so much yeah. too. I think it's just something that there's certain things. There's so many things in golf to focus on and learn that sometimes you get blinders with certain things. And I spent way too much time in my golf game attacking greens the same way. And that was, I tend to hit the ball very high and I relied on that. And I, I did that because, and we'll talk about more in a minute about hitting down on the ball. I hit up on the ball a little bit. And I would get the ball way up in the air and that would help me stop it. And we actually recently just got the opportunity to go through another golf ball fitting. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just even cool just hearing the remarks of the fitter. It was the same guy we had worked with about 18 months ago. And he's like, wow, Frank, big change here in what you're doing. Whereas previously you were attacking greens from high. Now you're low and a little more spinny. It's something that I learned from Brad Worthington earlier this year right. about, mm -hmm. and it, you, you realize this when you watch the pros, their wedge shots, their goal of their wedge shots is actually to keep that trajectory lower. I always thought wedge shots get it way up in the air, lower, but more spin and stop it. So not necessarily saying one is a hundred percent right for everybody. I just want you to be aware of these two ways. A good golfer will be able to do both hit it high to stop it because there are going to be some spots where you can't put spin on the ball. Mm -hmm. So if you're in um, bunkers like uh, fairway bunkers or deep rough where there's, there's a lot of stuff, whatever that may be grass or whatever between the club and the back of the ball. If you can't easily access that back of the ball, you can't get a lot of spin. Yeah. So you do have to use loft, but the two ways to get your ball to stop loft and spin. Yeah. You know, watching the masters this last weekend, um, I hold my breath when these guys hit their uh, chip shots to the green because they attack the pin at a hard line drive that if that thing yeah. doesn't check up and stop, it's gone. Yeah. And it's amazing. It is amazing. And it, but it's just because they know that they can be, have the confidence that that ball is going to check. Check. Yeah. Which is why we'll talk about equipment too in a moment because that's a big piece of that. Um, but those guys are also smart and you'll see if they'll adapt their strategy as the kind of the tournament goes on. We saw with the Masters, it started off wet, slow, slow. and soft. Mm -hmm. Then it started to, and that's why guys were going low. Right. DJ aside, that guy is just, you know, yeah. a superhero. That right. guy's not inhuman. Like when he's playing a robot. You know, we were saying how he's like <laughs> playing a video game out yeah. there. But you saw these guys as those greens. That's that's one of the big defenses that Augusta has is the difficult greens and those runoff areas that as that started to firm up and these guys, if they weren't hitting their spots, you yeah. saw it just running off the back of the green into the water, whatever it may be. So, but that's a big thing. But just understanding that the two ways you can get that ball to stop is either spin that it, it the actual backspin of the ball is causing it to bite on the green and stop or loft as you come in from a higher and higher angle of attack that ball is going to have more of a propensity to stop where it is so as you if you do a, do a golf ball fitting that's one thing that they're going to look at because different golf balls will f are designed to fly different trajectories mm -hmm. so we did that with with titleist so right the avx would be the, the lowest flying that the the x was the highest kind of flying yep and it depends that doesn't mean one is right or the other it depends on what you need what's your natural trajectory and do you need a little more height or a little less and that's where you can kind of work in so that that lends itself to the first thing is, is changing your golf ball and i think that was a perfect point you made is saying these guys have confidence it's going to check Mm -hmm. Right. So one thing that we've learned a lot through the years of playing different golf balls is that 
some of these balls that are meant to be kind of like distance balls and like a lot of the two piece balls and the, uh, that type of, of golf ball that you're going to naturally feel it to be a little bit harder. It's going to be, a, a, they have less soft cover. You guys know what, what I'm talking about. If you play different types of balls, you know what I'm talking about, but those tend to not check up as much because right. they're not spinning as much. Mm-hmm. So you, you do in those cases have to use often rely on hitting it higher, which fine. There's golf balls for different budgets and I understand all that, but I think what's more so important is being aware of it. What can your equipment do? If your equipment is not something that has the ability to, to check, then you just need to adjust your strategy and understand I've got to hit this ball higher. Yeah. Now, my personal opinion would be to, and again, I'm very sensitive to budgets. I understand there's also some great golf balls in that mid-range budget kind of area, a price tag, but I would invest the extra dollar a ball or whatever for that ability to know that my ball can do what I need it to do. So I'm not too much of a one-trick pony of having to hit it one way. It's the most important piece of equipment in the bag. It is. It's the it's the only piece of and equipment you use overlooked. on every shot. Yeah. You is know, the ball. Right. You know, we don't think of it often as equipment. But this is where too, and, and we do get, you know, people asking us in DMs and stuff like that, be like, you know, would they like for instance, I'll just use the Pro V one because that's what I play. But again, opening up to the broader, there's there every golf ball manufacturer makes a premium ball. Right, and that premium ball is going to get their most technology, and it's going to have that most ability. Some people say, "Well, I'm not that great of a golfer yet, so why would I spend the money on that premium ball?" And the reason that I would come back to that with is saying, because in those situations, no matter who you are, you're going to get faced with things like a 50-yard wedge shot. You're going to get faced with a you know 20-yard chip shot. If you know that ball can check, you can try to play that shot. Right. If that ball can't do it, then you don't. You end up not learning the shot because you end up saying you have to hit the ball higher to stop. You just can't rely. On it. So, or in those instances when, no matter wh- what kind of golfer is, we all hit good shots of once in a while. Absolutely. Right. Even yeah. though, even a blind Definitely. squirrel gets a nut once in a while. <laughs> right. right. So in those cases, that if you did hit that great shot, wouldn't you want to know that the ball is gonna? work right right but there's certain balls that just aren't spinny enough they're not going to do it they're not going to spin they're going to like like a like a rock they're just going to kind of skip off the green so that would be my reason of saying take a hard look at your equipment and see can you just make a slight adjustment even if it's going you know from the the most hard you know kind of like distance kind of ball just doing one step up to something that has a little bit more spin characteristics right it might change things for you i'd say give it a shot i mean my least favorite answer when i ever ask somebody what ball are you playing is whatever i find in the woods yeah a lot of people say that and i'll tell you the one word that we kept that our fitter mike kept coming back with during the ball fitting last week was confidence yeah when you stand over a golf ball there's something about it and i'm not knocking the brand i'm just the first one i could think of is callaway chrome soft if I'm standing over that ball in my yard, chipping in the backyard, there's a different feel of confidence than when I'm standing over the ball that I know I'm fitted for. And I know we've talked about this a lot. Because every golfer's different. Every golfer's different. So I know that I'm fitted for that Pro V1X. I know that's my golf ball based on countless swings and spin dissection of every the way I interact yeah. with the turf. I know that if I can hit that shot the way the pros did on line drive, I have a little bit of comfort that it's going to stop. But just a little bit. But I'm working on getting it there. Yeah, and you know what? If you do... I made this switch about two years ago. I went from playing every golf ball to just trying to hone in on just one after that fitting, right? When you do, you will see a shift that changes in you because you'll start to get a familiarity. 
right? It, it's no different than if I jumped in your car and tried to drive it. It's still a car. I it's could car, drive it, but I might not be feel. as familiar, right? right? When confidence comes largely from familiarity, especially in those short scoring opportunities around the green, chips, wedge shots, putts, right? If you're constantly changing your ball, you're going to have to always be adjusting. It's going to feel a little different. It's going to come off the face. It's going to come off the putter face different. There is a huge shift that happens when you just start playing the same golf ball and you yep. start to get just get this feel, like you become a relationship with that yep. golf ball. It's why the tour pros don't change their ball that often. Even when, you know, a similar, like it, it might be, you know, just the new version of a ball comes out. Sometimes they'll take a couple practice rounds with it before they make the adjustment. They're not mm -hmm. going to do it before a big tournament often mm -hmm. because there's the familiarity. So just do that. I mean, I, I get it. We all kind of do it. We find golf balls in the woods. But if, if you do, what I would say is start to try to find an air on like finding one you like and staying consistent. If the price is a problem, it might be a good idea to buy second chance balls. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but the shift you're going to see is going to be when you start playing the same ball. Yeah. And I'd say if you, if you, if you struggle like me, I struggle with feel. You know, I, I told the fitter that I can't feel a golf ball from a long distance. Driver, mid-range, irons. The closer I get to the green... Uh, the more feel comes into play. So those short-sided chips, yeah. but even more so on the putting green is when I feel a golf ball the most. So if you're sitting there, you know, driving your car saying, hmm, all right, I like the idea of collecting many different golf balls and then seeing it. My advice would be start on the putting green, roll all of them yeah. and see which one feels good and then back it off, go to the chipping side, start doing that. You, you'll feel it. You'll feel it. And in that fitting too, he did say that feel is so subjective. Feel means a different thing to you than it does to me. Mm -hmm. And feel is, is this all-encompassing thing of all the feedback we get from a ball. Sound is Sound. even part of it. Sound creates, feel is a mental thing. It's not necessarily the tactile. It becomes that all-encompassing, how does this, how do I as a, as a golfer react to this golf ball? So he had said, some golfers feel it. It's, it's I think fine, it's, for everyone, it's a little easier to feel on the putting green. Sure. But he said, some golfers feel it with drivers. Some go golfers feel it with wedges. Mm -hmm. So don't feel discouraged if your, your playing partner describes the way the ball feels to them differently than you. That doesn't necessarily mean you don't know how to feel the ball. Understand that the feel is very, it, it's very personalized to you. Right. So go with the ball that feels best to you. But then once you find that, stick with it. Because as you start to jump around, now especially you start playing the same ball and over and over again, you put another ball into play, now it, it could throw you off because it's a different feel. Right. So a little two cents there. Um, another thing you can work on now from, a strat from an execution standpoint is your angle of attack, improving your angle of attack. So this is the thing that has been my biggest change this season. Again, if you're new to the show, we are not pro or instructors. Uh, we're learning the game, so it's a moving target for us. We are adjusting and making changes all the time. Um, and this took that real confidence, too, of, of trying to get used to it. It's hitting that ball lower. And, and more trajectory and spinnier. Uh, we're going to talk in a future episode about impact bag. That's a training aid yep. I use a lot for this. Um, but I'm learning to keep kind of a more of a forward press and that downward impact into the ball because it's something we've explained on the podcast before. But the physics of it is as you hit down on the ball, the ball will ride up the face and that's where that loft and that face creates that backspin. The spin is what, again, going back to earlier, what's going to kind of help stop that ball on the green. Right. All right. So when you try to, and it's a common thing with beginner golfers, it's something I've done for a long time, still trying to work away from it because it seems intuitive to get the ball in the air that you need to hit up on it 
we try to hit up on it. But as you start to hit up on the golf ball, you're actually imparting less and less spin on it. The only club really we hit up on is the driver. Um, and that's even minimal, maybe two degrees mm -hmm. up. But in that case, we're not trying to impart backspin. With a driver, we don't want backspin. Backspin is what ends up stopping it. We want the rollout. Right. Right? So in that case, we're not trying to do it. But pretty much every other club in the bag, you want to put a little bit of backspin on that creates that lift and creates that stopping power. So just working on flighting the ball kind of down with more spin is something that's going to help you. Plus, it gives you another way to attack greens. Again, if you go out there with only one way of attacking greens, you have to make sure that way works in all conditions. And where I found that it didn't work was windy conditions. Oh yeah. If I was so reliant on getting that ball way up in the air, we play on those windy days and now I'm missing every green. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. So striking the ball in the downswing, it, it, it's, it's important. Um, there's a couple of different tips you can do. Um, a lot of players who struggle with hitting down through impact are also are often leaning away from the target in the downswing. So this a lot of this, and we won't get into too much detail because we've covered it before and we will cover it again, the, the actual physics of it. But look, if you are someone who's struggling with hitting down on the ball, look at your balance. Uh, it could be that you're not getting enough of your weight shift towards, you know, towards the target. So if I'm thinking as a righty golfer, if I'm not getting enough of my weight shifting to my left side, mm -hmm. that's often why you end up hitting up on it. Um, you can kind of just like, just swing the, the, don't even hit a ball, just swing the club and then feel what it feels like to shift your weight right and left. And you'll start to see as you go as a righty golfer, as you go right, you start to see that you're hitting on the upswing. And as you go left, you're hitting kind of on the downswing. Yeah, I see. Um, but mm -hmm. if you can get to that point where you're doing it, again, I did it largely with the impact bag and working on my my forward, my left wrist angle, keeping it angle instead of keeping it. If you guys can see this, like if you go uh, here, anybody's watching it, if your your left wrist goes this way, goes this way, you're 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 going to be flipping. That's where you're flipping is lifting. This way. I can't show on this this thing. Yeah, I know. I'll have to do an instructional segment on it. That's where you're hitting down and into the ball. Well, we're going to do a whole podcast coming up on the impact smash, the smash bag. Yeah, right. which has been the biggest feedback for me of mm -hmm. hitting down on the ball more. Um, and then one last tip here. This is Probably where most important here. I think this is the most important because yeah. any golfer, if you're listening to this, I don't care your skill level. We know everybody's got different skill levels. You can apply this immediately because it's strategy. And that's just adjusting your target distance what that comes into is going back to earlier understanding how the greens are that day mm -hmm. is it wet and really soft or is it is it firmer and no matter you know how much you know again you're you're, you're thinking about your spin and stuff like that but the ball is going to stop differently based on those conditions and i think where a lot of us go wrong is we think okay you fire the pin right it's 150 pin eight iron that's my 150 club i hit it and then I'm like, why am I off the back of the green? Right. You know, because that's my 150 carry. I'm carrying it to the pin. I'm not allowing myself mentally any room for that rollout. And especially as you attack that pin from further and further out, eight iron, seven iron, six iron, there's less and less spin on the ball, you know, versus a, a hundred yard wedge where you can get 10,000 RPMs of spin or something right. crazy like that to stop that ball dead. As you go back and further and further, you have to add more of a rollout, a, a, you know, distance to it. So that's where you may say 150. Okay, I'm more and more so be thinking 145 right. to give myself 15 feet for the ball to stop 
short of that pin instead mm-hmm. of blowing right by it. You know? Yeah, it makes total sense. And we don't think about it. You're right. We just we, we identify the number and we associate the club with the number. Yeah. And then we just get up and hit the ball. Right. You know, so it's just it's such a common thing. You know, recreational, you know, everyday golfers, you you just you, you whatever your range your rangefinder, your GPS device, or looking at the the markings there on the ground, you just think of it and you just say, Okay, you pull whatever club matches that distance. But where the switch is with the with the higher level golfers, they are taking, and that's where too you see the conversations that happen between on the PGA Tour, the golfer and the caddy. Yeah, most of that conversation, it's not the caddy saying, "Well, remember here, I need yeah. you to keep your head down." Right, and it, he's not saying that. They're saying, "Okay, they're talking about the conditions, they're talking about the yardage, and they're talking about the, about the rollout, the mm-hmm. wind, the rollout." So. If you can shift your thinking to be a little bit more of a critical, analytical thinker with your strategy and your targets, you will end up being yeah. a better go- Even with the same shot and the same, you know, the same ability, the same equipment, a smarter target will change your game. Dude, that little bit of thinking can maybe knock off one or two strokes. Easy. Easily. Easy. And think about that. If you all you struggling to break 100, struggling to break 90, that could be the key difference. And, you know, back on the guys on tour, I mean, Thursday at the Masters was completely different conditions, wet, yeah. muddy, and then as compared to Sunday. So their club selection on Thursday was a lot different than Sunday. Right. You know? It was. Um, it, it's amazing, though. Those guys and play. you guys are not, you're not going to become instantaneously a, a brilliant decision maker on the golf course. But it, what it'll happen is with practice and time, you'll get better and better and you'll get quicker at it and you'll get more familiar with different situations. So if you're a newer golfer listening to this and you're saying, well, Frank, really all I'm thinking about right now is being able to hit the ball. Mm-hmm. I get it. But if you start to rehearse and practice the um, actual going through the motions of, of shot, smart shot selection, you'll, it'll become a part of your routine and you'll become better at it and you'll learn from the bad stuff. So you may say, well, my mental inputs here are that it's a firmer green and there's a little bit of wind. So I need to play it a little bit shorter and let it roll up to the thing. Even if you got that decision wrong, take that feedback and learn from it, and the next time you'll be a better decision maker. But I think all that we're trying to do is promote being a decision maker in general, yeah. instead of just that autopilot, one fifty pin, one fifty club, right? You know, yeah, exactly. It's autopilot. And another good way to practice it is go to arrange it as greens. Find the one fifty green. You know, hit three clubs to it. You know, if that's if if, if the one fifty is your nine iron. Take a pitch, a nine and an eight, and just hit the same swing. Yeah. And just keep testing it. They move on to the 175. And, you know, you might find out that, wow, you know, the pitching wedge was better because it got on and it trickled down to the hole a little bit. You know, when you identify that feel, I guess, again, back to feel, yeah. maybe move on. I mean, yeah. And it's a big thing that the pros are doing when they go to the range, they're not often but right before a round they're not really working on things they're more so getting the conditions of the day they're yeah. getting the wind how the ball is carrying that day they're taking a look at the range and how things are kind of rolling out and they're using that to make their decision making once they hit the golf course there you go so again just kind of to recap first make taking a hard look at well, first of all, understanding the difference of stopping the ball with height and with spin, then taking a hard look at your equipment. That could be the ball. One thing we also didn't discuss was things like your wedges. Are your wedges worn out? Because the other side of that equation is the grooves. Um, I love playing with good golfers mm-hmm. because we learned something. We had the opportunity to play with Greg Angelillo yeah, the other day, yeah. uh, who is a club champion at two, two different clubs. amazing exclusive <laughs> golf courses. I mean, this guy knows what he's doing and picking his brain. 
Now, this might not be something you need to do as aggressively as he does, but like the tour players, he changes his wedges out four times per season. Now, he's playing a ton of golf. And competitive I'll give you golf. That. Competitive Everybody. golf, yes. He's, he's trying to make the U.S. Open. He's, exactly. he's doing like qualifiers. Exactly. Yeah. But it proves the point that if you're playing, maybe you're not changing your wedges four times a year, but it's if it's been four or five years since you changed your yeah. wedges, maybe it's time to take a look at that because as those grooves get worn, you have less ability to use spin. So understanding spin and height uh, as well as the ball, also changing that that angle of attack, learning to hit more down on it, putting more spin on it. A great benefit we have is a lot of us has, have access to uh, launch monitors, which was not as widely accessible a couple of years ago. Might be going to some ranges that have them, yep. practice facilities mm-hmm. where you can actually start to look at your spin numbers and work on improving that. Uh, and you can work with a coach on that as well. Uh, and also just smarter target distances, which just come from practice. Practice it and you'll get better. Yeah, and you know, I want to challenge everyone out there. You know, I want you to try to put some of this stuff to work and send us a note, DM us, email us, podcast at Golficity, put it in the comments on the video on YouTube of this episode, whatever. Um, even if it's not tips one and two, even if you say, no, I'm not changing my ball or I'm not going to learn how to swing down on a ball overnight. But even if you take tip three, I just want to hear, did it work? Did you have some better shots out there? Did you have the best round you've had in weeks? I just want to know. Or was it terrible? Was it, guys, you threw me way off. I was hitting everything. I just, I'd love to hear the feedback. Yeah, and and if you've got one of those kind of pat yourself on the back moments where you're like, you know what? I'm really proud of myself with the decision I made there. You know, that would love, I'd love to I hear I want to hear it. I'll, I'll read it here like, on the you show. You know what, guys? For sure. It was a 150 pin, and, and again, I keep using that same round number. Be like, but I knew the greens were firm that day, and I, I said I hit one less club, and I hit the front of the green and let it roll back to the pin. Yeah. It was a great feeling. And my, my GIRs went up by... 20% or whatever, something yeah. like that. That's what I want Something like that. I mean, that's, that's great stuff. Mm-hmm. It really is. And that's where you start to enjoy the game even more because you're out there and you feel like I'm actually getting better, becoming go. a smarter golfer. Bingo. Uh, that's a real key. So that's everything we have for you guys this week. You can get to the show notes as o- always by going to golfacity.com slash episode 351. Or if you haven't already done so, download the Golficity app for iOS or Android. Um, it's a it's a great way to go through every single podcast episode. There's a little tab there. It says podcast. We've also got our videos on there and tons of other instructional and other fun golf content. But all the podcasts are right there. You can go right to whatever episode. You can search them. And it's a great way to, to go back and listen to some old back episodes. Um, but we'll be doing we'll be covering a lot of new topics in these coming weeks. This, the year is not over yet. And at the end of the year, of course, we'll do our goals wrap-up show, which yeah, is always fun. a fun one. So stay tuned for that. If you're not already subscribed, make sure you subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. We love having that. We love your feedback. So if you could leave us a quick review wherever you're listening to podcasts, we would be uh, very much appreciative of that. Like I said, go to golfacy.com slash episode 351 for this week's show notes, and we'll see everybody again next week.